I'll just kick off, and I, I'll, I'll note that uh, the uh, the Brisbane Courier Mail have got their front page. I know they'll be featuring a fair bit on the Brisbane Broncos. They've had their season launch. We are a week away from the start of the NRL season, and of course, just a reminder to you that our Friday night program will now become the continuous call team from next week, and we'll be on here between uh, eight and midnight, or in the case. Uh, well, you will be here between 8 and midnight or 7 and 11, uh, depending on which state you are in once the NRL season begins. But I'll kick off with the Sydney Morning Herald. This story is in the Herald and the Age. Now, you'll remember that earlier this week we had this briefing from the ASIO boss and he was talking about a hive of foreign Asians that they had disrupted uh, within this country. Uh, and I think there were the, the assumptions mean that every every time this is talked about, the assumption is uh, that we're talking China and, and Chinese operatives, but we also know that Iran has foreign agents that are operating in this country. Uh, but this hive, Nick McKenzie has this story. It's on the front page of the Herald and the Age. Russian spy hive exposed. A highly active hive of Russian agents, or Russian spies, Posing as diplomats, operated in Australia for more than 18 months before it was dismantled as part of a sweeping and aggressive counter-espionage offensive by ASIO. The intelligence agency spent months tracking the spy ring, which comprised purported embassy and consular staff and operatives using other deep cover identities before finally moving to force the ring's key players out of Australia, according to sources with knowledge of the operation. Now, the spying operation was described by the ASIO Director-General Mike Burgess in that speech that we reported here on Tuesday night. He didn't name Russia, but sources confirmed ASIO had confirmed the spying operating out of a number of locations, including the Russian embassy in Canberra, while the Morrison government was in power. The ring's aim was to recruit Australians with access to classified information and according to one source with knowledge of the activity, use sophisticated technology to steal data and communicate without being intercepted. Now, rather than press for the expulsion of Russian ambassador, uh, embassy staff after the invasion of Ukraine, a move that occurred uh, uh, in other Western nations and one sought by some within Australia's intelligence community, ASIO instead conducted a clandestine counter-espionage probe, attracted the Russian spy ring ensnaring targets did not suspect that they were not being watched, uh, so they didn't think they were being watched. Uh, one factor uh, was the operation was the possibility Russia might retaliate by targeting the small number of Australian diplomatic staff in Moscow. So there's more detail on that story there. So what they're saying is, and you might recall, in the aftermath of the, uh, after the, the invasion uh, of, uh, of Ukraine, uh, and the beginning of that offensive into Ukraine, uh, a lot of countries kicked the uh, Russian staff and embassy and, and ambassadors out. And according to this story, ASIO thought, well, leave, th leave them here. They'll keep doing what they've been doing and we will entrap them, which they did. That's what they're saying. That story is on the front page of tomorrow's uh, Sydney Morning Herald. They've got two other important ones. The Star Entertainment Group. Now, remembering... The Star Casino, uh, it is in a fair bit of trouble. They've uh, unveiled today a net loss after tax of $1.3 billion for the December half. Huge amounts of money go through these casinos. In this case, it's the casino that's losing, which uh, I guess goes to the old thing we always say, well, the house never loses. Well, in this case, the house has lost. 
and the Star Casino has lost $1.3 billion for the December half. Now, the new CEO is saying that the uh, proposed tax, which is being talked about now by the... This is an, 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 an extra tax, uh, and this is a tax hike on the poker machines the New South Wales government is proposing. It'll have a paralysing effect on the company as it considers the viability of its flagship Sydney casino. In other words, uh, they're making a lot of money out of people losing money in the mini poker machines they have there. And if there's extra tax placed on the uh, the turnover on those poker machines, they won't be trousering as much of the amount the money that people lose, and that could affect their viability. Uh, according to this, uh, Star's poker machine profits under this proposal would be taxed at a top rate of 60.7%, and override a 20-year agreement negotiated with Dominic Perrottet when he was treasurer in 2020. Uh, so uh, they say they'd need to attract uh, $100 million from our operations uh, to try and, and get the money to pay that tax. It's extremely hard when we're dealing with a cost base of $400 million in Sydney. So that's what they're saying the cost of running their whole show is. So that's the Star Casino in Sydney. Uh, and they've lost $1.3 billion. People who gamble, I guess those of you might be saying, oh, so what? Uh, we lose. For once, the house is losing. That's the Star Casino and their front page story in the Herald. Now, just on the superannuation debate, uh, there's a couple of stories. Sydney Morning Herald, uh, they've got some quotes from Stephen Jones, who's the Assistant Treasurer, where he referred to uh, to uh, the superannuation and the pot of money in superannuation as a hive and likening it to, to honey. There's not much news in all of that. They've also got a story in the Telegraph, though, about the flood victims in central western New South Wales who are struggling to keep up with mortgages and cost of living pressures. They'll be offered more free financial counselling to help recover from the disaster, and more counsellors will be sent to the region as residents continue the long process of recovery after devastating floods wreaked havoc on businesses and households. So that was earlier this year. Remember, we told you earlier this week and again earlier tonight that the floods in northern New South Wales around Lismore, where that was early last year, well over a year on, uh, they've only just started uh, making offers to people of relocation or refurbishing of their houses. That has taken far, far too long. Uh, now, They've also got this story uh, on the superannuation front in the Financial Review. And there's a couple of important superannuation stories. Financial Review has spoken to a few of the so-called teal MPs. Remember, they represent uh, some of the wealthiest uh, electors, electorates in the country. This story says, uh, Teal's hit back at $3 million super cap. Independent MPs representing some of the nation's wealthiest voters have warned against another rate on superannuation saying people had invested in good faith. The government should focus on broader tax return uh, reform to balance the budget. Uh, Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones all but confirmed the government was looking at imposing higher taxes on funds of around $3 million or more. But they've got quotes from uh, Kylie Tink uh, from North Sydney, uh, Allegra Spender from Wentworth, uh, and Zoe Daniel, uh, that's the seat of Goldstein, all saying, uh, well, the quote from Zoe Daniel, I'm not only keen, overly keen on governments fiddling with super for reasons that sought to speak to their own base because those positions might be quite opposing. So she's essentially saying, and obviously sniffing the wind, that within her electorate this is going to be quite unpopular. Ditto with the North Sydney MP and ditto with the MP in Wentworth. Of course, the independents in the lower house 
Well, they're outnumbered by the Labor MPs in the lower house. And so if there was a move on this front, it would need to be uh, blocked in the Senate. But in the Senate, you've got Labor, the Greens and David Pocock. So while they're making all these noises, I'm not sure they've got the capacity to do anything about it in the lower house of the parliament. But in the Australian newspaper, uh, they have uh, Gary Weaven. They've quoted him now. He's regarded as the godfather of industry super. He founded industry fund services in the early 1990s. He was also the ACTU assistant secretary in the 1980s as well. He was a key player in the development of the industry super movement, this whole industry super and super annuation program which Paul Keating brought in. But uh, Gary Weaven is saying uh, that um, super income and retirement had historically been linked, limited to six times pre-retirement wages. Uh, uh, The former treasurer, Peter Costello, had removed limits, but any attempt to reimpose them can't just ignore what happened before would lead to people reinvesting outside the super system i've got no problem with being high anything excess of the cap you've got options invest it over a reasonable time frame in other areas but it will not have the same tax advantage that some areas do so he's, he's making the point if you, if you put the cap say you put a three four five million dollar cap that people can have up to five million in that uh, tax advantaged area of superannuation and then they can invest in other things beyond that but then they'll be paying a higher rate of tax on the return from that. Or I guess the only place they could put it, they could buy a a monstrous size house, which of course, if it's your family home, that would be tax free. So uh, anyway, that one's on the front page. They've also, the Australian, uh, they've got some work from the uh, uh, IPA, the uh, Institute of Public Affairs, but look, I could have done this on the back of an envelope. They're making the point that Anthony Albanese And in fact, uh, Wayne Swan, who is the ALP national president, they are going to be beneficiaries of a monstrous size uh, superannuation payout when they leave politics. Well, in case of Wayne Swan, he's already left, so he's already collecting that. Uh, But in in the case of uh, Anthony Albanese, now uh, he will, when he leaves, uh, because he, he was in parliament before 2004 when the rules were changed, he's likely to get a lifetime pension of something in the order of $400,000 a year uh, tax-free. And it's not money that he's put in. It's the old scheme that politicians had. You've got Julia Gillard and uh, Tony Abbott are on pensions now, which would be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per year for life uh, because they were there before 2004. And they're making the point that, well, if you're saying to people you should be able to exist on the proceeds of $3 million in super, well, you're going to be getting... $400,000 a year when you go and by the time he goes it might be even higher than that so that's across the front page of the Australian uh, newspaper but they've also got a, a pretty important story about aged care as well which uh, they've they've detailed the state of the aged care system in Australia and it's not a pretty picture in fact they're saying this is going to present a real issue for the treasurer what they're saying is Two in three nursing home providers are running at a loss. This is an assessment that's been done of uh, it's the quarterly financial snapshot of aged care. For-profit and not-for-profit providers are included here. It represents more than 90% of all homes. And what they're saying is that two-thirds of them are running at a loss. And they're saying that uh, they're, they're hemorrhaging an average $28 per resident each day. That's what they're losing all of these aged care homes 
The government's going to have to look closely at this. It could mean another call on government funds. They're making the point that there's also the issue of the now 15% increase for aged care workers, which is awarded by the Fair Work Commission. And that's going to be a factor in the coming budget where there are so many things pulling on the, uh, the limited funds in that budget. That's another one. That's aged care. That's on the front page of tomorrow's Australian newspaper. And that's uh, many of the things that people are going to be talking about tomorrow. Yeah, uh, Rebecca makes the point, the defined benefit. This is the, this is the old superannuation scheme. Anyone elected after 2004 is on a much more conventional one. It's not dissimilar to what the rest of us have. But the one that, the, the one that, that, that was there before 2004 was a defined benefit scheme essentially funded by taxpayers. It's adjusted annually. It never runs out because it's funded by the government. And it was a massive rort. Uh, and it was closed down in 2004. But those who were elected before that are going to have an absolute windfall, particularly if they're still in the parliament today.